Hello and welcome everyone to the Fate of the Union podcast, a weekly review of the biggest issues in national politics given from a conservative perspective. The show will also periodically address current true crime cases from across the country. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's talk about the fate of the Union. This week on Fate of the Union, we are going to look at some updates regarding the case against Officer Derek Chauvin in the wake of body cam footage being released of the police's confrontation with Floyd leading up to his death. So in viewing the video, we start our analysis with an overview uh, of the footage in general. The video was leaked online recently and begins with officers approaching Floyd in the driver's seat of an SUV. My initial reaction upon seeing Floyd, who first appears in this video, is twofold. First, Floyd appears to be a physically large person. He is wearing a tank top, and you can see that he has pretty muscular arms, broad shoulders. So the officers are dealing with a a relatively strong person, a, a physically rather large person, which will also become relevant later in the video. Second, Floyd indeed appears to be under the influence of some kind of drugs or alcohol. He slurs his words and seems to be slow in responding to questions and requests from the officers. After a brief exchange, the officers get Floyd out of his car and handcuffed and begin escorting him to the police car. Upon arriving at the cop car, Floyd says numerous times that he is claustrophobic and that he either can't breathe or is having trouble breathing. Floyd resists getting in the back of the car for several minutes while reiterating that he is claustrophobic, that he can't breathe, he's not going to be able to to be calm, basically, in the back of the cop car. At least one of the officers offers to actually roll down the windows to give him some air and perhaps help with the issue of confinement, but to no avail. Eventually, Floyd offers himself to lay on the ground instead of getting in the car so as to not be confined in the back seat. The leaked video here ends with an obstructed view of Floyd being laid down on his stomach with his hand uh, handcuffed behind his back after being in his previous position pressed up against the back of the cop car. Now, the real influence of this video is its impact on the charges brought against Chauvin and the relevant likelihood of success on each count. Minnesota's Attorney General and former Congressman Keith Ellison has brought the following charges against Chauvin. Second-degree murder via the felony murder rule, third-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter, and an accompanying felony assault as well, which will become relevant in a moment. Under the second-degree murder charge, the state has to prove Chauvin killed Floyd in the midst of committing a dangerous felony, a.k.a. the felony murder rule. The felony murder rule is used sometimes when dealing with a defendant who is, say, in a shootout with the cops 
and someone died as a result, even if it was not the defendant who did the killing. The dangerous felony there, shooting at the cops, was the factual cause of death in that case. The rule is controversial in some legal academic circles, but it remains nonetheless. The prosecutor is anticipating the kneeing on Floyd's neck to be established as a felony assault, as we just spoke about, an assault in itself, leading up to the eventual death of George Floyd, and thus establishing the felony murder rule in the second-degree murder charge based on the kneeing in the back or the neck being the felony that led to the eventual death of the suspect. This second-degree murder charge brings a maximum sentence of 40 years if convicted. Third-degree murder is for defendants who cause the death of another by perpetrating an act that is, quote, eminently dangerous to others or evincing, quote, a depraved mind, but without the actual intent to kill the person. This charge is more for defendants who were highly criminally negligent or reckless without any regard over whether death could result from their actions, but they didn't actually intend on killing someone when they engaged in the actions. So that would be either a kind of maybe not meaning to shoot anyone, firing a warning shot, but it does end up killing someone. And this charge uh, carries a maximum sentence of 25 years. That's the third-degree murder charge. Now, finally, we have the second-degree manslaughter count. This includes the allegations that Chauvin displayed, quote, culpable negligence created an unreasonable risk and that Chauvin took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm to George Floyd. This charge is different in its sentencing in that if there's a conviction, it's punishable by up to 10 years in jail and or a fine up to $20,000. So there's a kind of sliding scale that the court will use in not only handing down a prison term of up to 10 years, but also a fine of up to $20,000. It is likely that in, in this case, if a manslaughter conviction is carried out and proven at trial, there will be some sentencing regarding both a jail term and a fine. There'll be some amount of both, very likely. However, the ultimate question for whether Chauvin will face a prison sentence of up to 40 years or up to 25 years, depending on the murder charges, ultimately depends on whether the court finds that the kneeling on the back of George Floyd is a felony assault in itself. If it is, then we were looking at the second-degree murder charge of a 40-year max. If it isn't, then we still could see the possibility of the third degree's max of 25 years. Again, the charges also include an assault in the third degree. However, this, again, is really just a vehicle to use in order to establish, as the prosecution may hope, the second-degree murder charge based on felony murder. If the state carries either murder charge to a conviction, then the second-degree manslaughter charge is basically a given as well. 
Prison terms run either consecutively, which means adding up the sentence for each count and getting a total prison sentence out of that, or they run concurrently, which means that the largest sentence rules and the lower level sentences are subsumed in that charge. Here, I think it's very likely that if multiple convictions are found, then the sentencing will run concurrently since all charges stem from the same series of events. However, I think the video cuts against establishing the knee in the back as an independent felony assault, primarily because of the lack of criminal intent shown in the events leading up to Floyd's death. Chauvin, with other officers, repeatedly asked Floyd to get in the cop car and even try to make accommodations for his claustrophobia. Additionally, we discovered that the idea of laying Floyd on the ground, without the knee on him, of course, actually came from Floyd himself. Moreover, Chauvin learned to stabilize a suspect with the knee during his official training for the force. Thus, there appears to be no criminal intent shown on the video to cause Floyd harm or to certainly cause his death leading up to Floyd first laying on the ground. And thus, there isn't an independent felony assault apart from authorized police conduct. Then, once on the ground, Floyd again complains that he can't breathe after already making the same complaint several times when the officer attempted to load him into the cop car. Therefore, Chauvin's, quote, force, legally speaking, as an officer, really begins to be employed when putting the knee in Floyd's back. Floyd's condition insofar as the fentanyl in his system and to the extent any claustrophobia actually does exist, it really lends itself more towards the argument of, of contending whether or not there was culpable negligence in taking an unreasonable risk in, insofar as the manslaughter charge is concerned than it is for the felony assault needed for the murder two charge or the depraved indifference needed to prove murder three. Essentially, the debate is more about culpable negligence than it is criminal intent to harm someone. And thus, the central debate here is over the manslaughter charge and not either of the murder charges. So let's talk about the manslaughter charge now. Did Chauvin demonstrate culpable negligence by creating an unreasonable risk in taking a chance of causing death or great bodily harm? the weight of evidence may lean towards no. We must analyze this issue without the aid of hindsight. We cannot look at the death after the fact and automatically attribute knowledge of that risk to Chauvin during these events. It's of central importance when looking at issues of probable cause or the type of force that an officer employs that we must look at the time of events contemporaneously, using the knowledge and the surrounding circumstances known to the officers during those events, 
not with the aid of any kind of Monday morning quarterbacking after the fact. When putting his knee in the back of Floyd, Chauvin was following department protocols and keeping the suspect stationary on the ground. Now, I don't think that without the knee, Floyd would be a risk of escaping. While on his stomach on the ground with hands handcuffed behind his back, he would have had to roll over to his back, sit up on his butt, get to his knees, and then finally stand up. All the while being handcuffed with his hands behind his back, thus not having the capabilities of planting his hand in the ground to help him get up. It would have taken probably at least 10 seconds and all in view of four officers immediately surrounding him. Nonetheless, Chauvin was authorized by his training to employ the knee in this situation if he thought it necessary. Here, he used his training and discretion with a measure taught to him by the force, and the measure is not in itself fatal force, which is also very important in determining either any of the charges here. Here, Floyd's high dosage of fentanyl in his system was critical in him dying in police custody. As an aside here, it's also important to consider the source of information in addressing the events of this case. The statements from the doctor conducting autopsy reports and similar analyses for Floyd's family's civil wrongful death suit has little relevance here. The civil case concerns a lesser burden of proof improving a completely different law. It is easier to prove wrongful death than certainly the murder charges criminally. Plus, the doctor retained by the family obviously has an incentive to frame the case in terms most favorable to Floyd. They are, in fact, trying to prove that lesser burden of wrongful death in order to be compensated on various grounds for the death of George Floyd. This same kind of idea goes for Floyd's civil rights lawyers handling the wrongful death case. They obviously have an incentive to frame the case most favorable to them. They are, in fact, going to conduct their own trial, likely after the criminal trial is done, and they have a lot of jurors that they're going to need to convince. So from their perspective, the fact that this case is going to be argued on slightly different grounds in the criminal case is an added venue for them before the civil case really gets underway for them to argue their case. So obviously they're going to use this as a chance to, in a way, practice some arguments in front of the jury that is the public's opinion. So any statement given by the civil rights lawyer, in all honesty, should be taken with, with a grain of salt. They are, in fact, treating the public, treating the news outlets as a kind of practice jury, if you will, to try different things out, and obviously not constrained by things like hearsay, things like, you know, some more um, 
some more prejudicial arguments, some arguments that don't necessarily need the concrete factual grounding that they would need in a courtroom. So they're doing their very best to kind of slyly, but still within the bounds of what is allowed to kind of get the narrative going for their potential jury pool. So we'll keep an eye on, on, on whether the legal team on the civil side or any more civil side um, autopsy experts continue to come out with statements and keep that frame of mind present when listening to what they have to say. Here, in the prosecution's view, the knee was at best a contributing factor to Floyd's death that likely would not have resulted in Floyd's death without the high dosage of fentanyl in his system. Moreover, there was no way for Chauvin to know about the lethal dose of drugs, not just the suspicion of presence of some level of drugs in Floyd's system at the time of the events. Again, without using hindsight, the use of non-lethal force on a suspect who was resisting arrest and had other pre-existing conditions, the extent of which could not have possibly been known by the officer, does not amount to an unreasonable risk of harm here, I think. At least, an unreasonable risk of harm as it's contemplated in the manslaughter in the second-degree charge. Instead, this case is at best a case where some may find the measures unnecessary in the circumstances or would have preferred the employment of other kinds of measures or uses of force in the circumstances given Floyd's inability to escape, but that is still short of actions that are criminally culpable, in my opinion. So in the end, we're going to keep an eye on this. Obviously, this, the leaking of this footage is a huge development in not only the prosecution's ability to prove various charges at trial, especially the two murder charges, but also the public's reception of the case right now. You've already seen that there are numerous outlets who have a lot actually on the on the local level that have not really grasped and and analyzed this footage correctly in my opinion there's not nearly enough focusing on the resisting of the re- of of arrest by Floyd and Floyd's own complaints that he was having trouble breathing before the cops really even put any force on him he was simply kind of leaning up against the cop car with the cops behind him when he started saying these things. And also the fact that he really, this being Floyd, volunteered to be laid on the ground himself. Now, he obviously didn't volunteer to have a knee in his back, but putting him in a time and place of being laid on the ground and kind of putting a freeze frame on the events there that was really all a product of Floyd's own doing. The cops already had probable cause to think he was passing off counterfeit bills when they first approached him in his car. He showed signs of being quite obviously 
impaired to some degree when initially speaking with the officers and resisted getting in the cop car despite not really being met with any force up until then. Sure, he had his hands handcuffed behind his back, but there was, aside from having a gun drawn, which was just simply an initial protocol when first approaching Floyd, there were no measures of of non-lethal force aside from the very minimal force used to actually put the handcuffs on him. And then once at the cop car being laid down was really his own idea. He did resist arrest physically in stopping himself from being put in the car, but also verbally. And he repeatedly said that he did not want to go in the car for various reasons, whether it be supposed claustrophobia, whether it be him being afraid of what the cops would do to him in there, but also suggesting being put on the ground. Now, from Officer Chauvin's perspective, Floyd being on the ground was proposed by Floyd and thus really opened up the possibility of employing the knee in the back to stabilize the suspect. Being able to use that much force was really only prompted, is really only made possible by Floyd being on the ground in the first place. So from Chauvin's perspective, he really only had the option of putting the knee on Floyd's back after Floyd already volunteered to be put on the ground. That's not to say, of course, that Floyd was was asking for his for his death, but you have to analyze the cops' actions in the time and place of events using the knowledge that are only available to the cops in their profession when investigating and handling the suspect. And I think if you do that, it certainly cuts against, again, not only the two murder charges, but also uh, the manslaughter charge in itself. And like I said earlier, the felony assault is really only relevant insofar as being used as a vehicle for the murder to charge. So uh, I think that charge really goes out the window first, right away, and with it goes second-degree murder. And for the reasons that we discussed, I, it at least appears now, without the aid of any additional evidence that may come out in the future, that murder two and the accompanying felony assault will be gone by the wayside. Murder three and manslaughter two also being unlikely to be proven at trial given the information known to Officer Chauvin at the time. We may very well be seeing a different outcome on the civil side in the wrongful death suit. You do see that sometimes because it's a lesser burden of proof. There's not the higher standard of criminal intent to harm somebody in wrongful death. So the mere fact that Floyd was in police control and ended up dying in police control doesn't prove wrongful death in and of itself, but it does lend itself more to possibly hashing that out at trial and getting some kind of compensation from the police officers and the department. And of course, you also have to keep in mind for the civil suit, there is the prospect of settlement in maybe being a cost-saving measure, maybe 
in an effort to get public relations off their back and getting this case out of their, just out of sight, out of mind. So a settlement also doesn't necessarily mean throwing the scent off any wrongdoing. There are plenty of other motivations that fuel um, the intent and, and plan to settle by defendants in cases like this. So that just about does it for this week's episode of Fate of the Union. You can follow me on Twitter and Medium by searching Fate of the Union. You can also find me, Franklin, the host of this show at franklinfotu at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and now to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.